This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Rabbit's Feet by Stephanie Lenz and Our Times Demand Hot Chilies by Lawrence Davies. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. While there, check out our news blog. You can also find links to us on Facebook and MySpace. Rabbit's Feet Written by Stephanie Lenz Read by Kelly Schreiber Listening time, 3 minutes, 8 seconds Rabbit's Feet by Stephanie Lenz Will taught me how to butcher the friars. He killed them by smacking the backs of their heads with a spade. I only stunned the rabbits, sending them running in tight circles until Will gave them a decisive blow. Try the pipe, he suggested, his mother's method. It worked a little better, but not much. I still couldn't kill them with one shot. Jesus, girl, you can't even kill a stupid animal? I sniffed and rubbed at my eyes. I'd turned eleven over the winter, just after my parents died, while my cousin's voice had already deepened and his shoulders had broadened. Quit bawling, he said. He'd picked up the phrase from his stepfather. I'd wept at the dinner table for ten months and still cried myself to sleep, more nights than not. Now watch me. Will raised the pipe over his shoulder and held the rabbit around the waist. It kicked and panicked as he brought the weapon down, cutting the air with a low whistle. Its body went slack without a single quiver. Blood trickled from its ears. Will swooped it up by the hind feet, removed his axe from his belt, lopped off the rabbit's head, and held the body over a blood-crusted patch of grass. You just hold it like this till the blood quits running, he paused. You all right? I turned my head away from him to vomit into a stagnant puddle of rainwater and blood. Swooning with heat and revulsion, I pushed myself up from the filth, thinking, You have to. You can. You have no choice. I wiped my face and blinked hard to stop the burning tears. I'll do it, I said, opening my palm to him. No. Warmth flickered well behind his eyes. I don't think you're ready for this yet. Give me the rabbit. I don't think you're ready. Give me the damn rabbit. It was the first time I swore at anyone. Together we slipped the fur down the belly and pulled its skin toward its neck. Will guided my hand as I deepened the cut into the rabbit's flesh. He pointed out the gallbladder and told me not to cut it. If I did, I should throw the animal into the swamp and boil the knife. We removed its lungs, liver, and kidneys. Will told me what each organ did and how it depended on the others. He placed the tiny, still-fluttering heart in my mud-caked palm and said he would preserve the feet for me. I closed my fist around the heart and felt it stop beating. I found the feet on my pillow months later, perfect, buttery brown feet, linked by a leather strap. Dry-eyed, I stroked the fur for several minutes, thinking of what I had to do, what I could do, and the choice I had. I placed the talisman back on the pillow, gathered my belongings, and left it behind. Stephanie Lenz writes fiction in western Pennsylvania amid chaos caused by a husband, daughter, son, and two black cats, all named after fictional characters. 
and co-edits the literary journal Toasted Cheese. Our times demand hot chilies. Written and read by Lawrence Davies. Listening time, 9 minutes, 14 seconds. Our times demand hot chilies by Lawrence Davies. Tess wants perfection. Nothing less will do. Tom, her candidate for lover, wants to be the champion of champions. He's in intellectual property and she's in microchips. Between them blows a breeze that might become a gale or even yet a hurricane. It's an ancient story, but our times demand hot chilies. In her opinion, Tom's great virtue is his tightly muzzled ass. He also has an educated ease with soils and vintages and uncanny knowledge of judicial minds. Tom is charmed by Tess's lofty boobs, which make her look more like 17 than 31. Her knowledge, too, is right on target. The best galleries in L.A., Miami, London, Paris, Amsterdam, the proper ingredients for a perfect Ioli, and enough about designing microchips to terrify a man of merely average intelligence. Because she'll only settle for perfection, Tess wishes that his salsa moves were sweeter. Since the best deserves the very best, he wonders why she's never visited Bilbao. And yet they have so much to share. While Tom wants the finest trophies, Tess wants no one but the finest trophy winner. If only they could see it. What a glorious match. From well-intentioned friends, they hear about the bowl of fire, the championship supreme of chili pepper eating. It's like a pie or hot dog eating contest, but quite obviously more metropolitan. A win, she suggests, might make up for the klutzy dancing. Her willingness, he feels, to watch him scoop the prize, an Art Deco silver ice bucket, might make up for not going to Bilbao. Our times demand hot chilies, hotter and still hotter. The scene is Manhattan, Avery Island Hall. Loaded tables circle the miniature arena. While spectators gossip or make clandestine bets, entrants practice muscular control. Some start hard and some start cunning. The penultimate challenge, worse will follow, is an array of vicious little jewels, bird's eyes, pequines, scotch bonnets, abaneros. Those who've had their decency gland removed call them kitchen napalm. Tom, a decent man who hasn't had that operation, calls them kitchen comets. Tess, who doesn't fancy trolls or swaggerers, appreciates the difference. But how to be ready for the ultimate ordeal, the place beyond the comets, the final table? Whereas the tough guys go at once for high intensity, Tom shows loyally in direction, starting on Anaheim's and Ancho's, gently working up. He doesn't care what Tess will think, 
up there on her leather bench, sipping lemongrass martinis from a thermos? If he burns out his palate, never again will he face down another sniffy wine-waiter. What's more, a canny tortoise leaves the all-or-nothing hair gasping by the wayside. This is extreme gastronomy, don't forget, so tactics count. An hour rages by. Most hares have given up, most tortoises as well. They hunch behind the scenes, hoovering up great tubs of frozen yoghurt. Tom soldiers on. Tess admires his resolution, his courage under fire. But an unsilenceable voice keeps asking why he is so dogged, such a lawyer, just like his salsa moves, no inspiration. Tom knows that Tess has followed every gulp. Or, now that he's skirmishing across the torrid zone, his every nibble. What a trooper she is, what a great supporter, what a star, what a scrutineer. The final woman leaves, desperately wheezing, like the victim of a bad industrial fire. Three competitors remain, and five judges. The sixth succumbed to pepper fumes an hour ago. Eyes and noses streaming, Tom and the others drag themselves from man to man, wanting this to be done with, winning on the way, but done with. The judges keep score punctiliously, giving points for style, quantity, attack, intensity, knocking them off for drool or grabbing. No one so far has made the final table. There, light grey platters frame the mottled emerald and scarlets of the wildest, most recherche pepper of them all, the Infernal. Chili Maven stressed the final syllable, but this is a Spanish-speaking pepper all the way from southern Venezuela, grown in a mountain fastness, hard to find even in Caracas, and never knowingly sold to Anglophones. Each month the courier lands a small supply at JFK. Most of the current batch awaits the three survivors. Tom sets the pace, calmly reaching for an infernal. No martyr faced with beasts at Ephesus rose to the call with better grace. Holding it as if it weren't a smoking em ember but a cooling slice of apple, he takes a bite. The crowd breathes in, awestruck. All save Tess, who is so intent upon the drama that she doesn't breathe at all. She sees him twitch and shudder. The jolt shoots through his body like a slash from a cane. It's a hit of lightning in a dried-out forest. She sees him flaring up. He is standing in a vase of flame. Doubled up in anguish and in terror, Tom's rivals have bowed out. Spectators cheer. The judges rush to shake his blistered hand, but Tom ignores them. He stumbles toward the crowd. Tess comes out to meet him, out onto the threshing floor, blazing within and still not realising, still thinking he's on fire. He sees her swimming closer. He sees her rise above the water, flailing madly. 
Her mind is fixed on putting out his fire. Her body spasms with a fire of her own. Wherever she can reach, she slaps his burning skin, and even as she jerks and writhes, he holds her up among the floods. Arms, palms, legs, fists make a tumultuous blur. And then they stop. And then they topple over. The shock has turned him to a rag and wrung him out. But through flooding eyes, he sees her swim through many waters. The water must be deathly cold. He staggers up and lunges for the platter, grabs an infernal and throws it to her. Sir Thomas to the rescue. Out of the blaze, a coal explodes. She catches it. Her scorched fingers feel his suffering. She takes a bite of emerald and scarlet coal. Entropy works its levelling magic. His blade is quenched, her pot is boiled. Raw palms, bruised knuckles, cindered eyes, excoriated palates, seared throats, strained and stretched guts, tormented, overloaded hearts. Soon they will hurt in every organ, every limb and every orifice. But they are certain now, certain they have a lifetime to repair the damage. Lawrence lives in Scotland, where he writes, hunts mushrooms, cooks, edits Joseph Conrad's letters, and finally remembers his days in New England and New York. He and his family like their chilies mildish. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.